Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. All right, well, this is the fourth Sunday I've been teaching on deception. Different aspects of just really what Paul said about how aware we need to be, in particular, being caught up in many of the cunning strategies of the evil one in this world to take our focus off of heaven. It's just that simple. To actually become more worldly than godly. To have our attention more on what the world says, like Julie just said about our offerings, about our economy. Again, you know, last week I read that, I think that, you know, that prophecy of Rabbi Ben Samuel, that whole thing about how 2017, all these dates, all the stuff, you know, nobody knows when they're coming to the Lord will. But nevertheless, all these things that are happening around about us right now, all the news right now about China, the economy in China, how it's affecting America, how it's affecting here. And again, the scripture tells us, it just tells us, maybe sometime I just need to go and show you, but it, it tells us flat out that, you know, there, that money will go out of circulation. That in the end times, you know, the world's economy will collapse. It just flat says it. But this is why, again, we sow into a kingdom that will never be shaken. This is why as far as tithes, I used to tell people years ago, you know, the day is coming. You know, we think today when we, when we were taught about when you give, God will bring you a hundredfold. And those things are true. But ever, ever so subtly, we got into the mindset that, you know, when I give today, God's going to give me something tomorrow. And all I want to offer you is this, that possibly, just possibly, God may be wiser than you. And the day is coming when you will see why it has been so important to be faithful with your tithing in the past. In other words, he knows when you really need it. Do you understand? He didn't promise to meet your wants. He promised to meet your needs. But again, this is why we are faithful today. While it is yet day, we sow unto God. We live unto God because of the darkness that's soon to come. But again, we're to be of good cheer. This is that conundrum, that puzzling thing about Jesus speaks to us all, and he said, uh, he said, you got to understand, in this world you will have tribulation. In other words, you don't have to have faith for it. <laughs> Some people have faith for tribulations. He said, but be of good cheer. In the midst of it all, uh, to be, to somehow, way, have something working so deep in your spirit that whatever's happening in the world does not affect you, does not control you, does not limit you. Do you hear me? You know the basic truth of Matthew six thirty three again, but seek ye first the kingdom. And again, like it actually says in the Greek, it says, discover or find out how the kingdom of God operates. Begin to align and live according to kingdom principles, and all your needs will be met. Everything will have, anything and everything that you have needed will be okay. Because you've aligned yourself to how the kingdom of God functions. Anyhow. But there's a ton of deception in the earth. And again, that's what I've been teaching on. And I, looking at my notes again just this morning for a minute, I thought, I thought this was going to be the last one. But realistically, I don't know. I'm probably going to have to go to a couple more. But let me just start, just say again what I said in the very beginning. You know, the deception is everywhere. And... Like Rick Joyner used to say, he said, the thing about deception is it's deceptive. In other words, deception by the virtue of the word means something approaches you that has a cloak or that parades itself as something good or correct or wise. But in fact, it's not at all wise when you look at it compared to the kingdom of God or look at it through the lens of what God's will is for each and every one of us. So just real quickly, I want to say this, then I want us to go back to 2 Timothy 2. I said that deception ultimately produces division. In other words, between peoples. Because people are, again, they're 
a lot of people are just looking for anything. Like, again, in Second Timothy, in another part where it said, you know, people have itching ears. They're always searching for something. They get bored with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How you can be bored about the truth of Jesus Christ just is beyond me. But nevertheless, people want to find something else. They're always searching, running, going to and fro, looking for something new, it says. People that have itching ears, they want to hear something new. I got to tell you, the world is full of ups, you know, ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows. In other words, there's times where things where it's really, really high and everything's running great. And there's other times when you're going through a season of whatever. Like Paul said, I've learned how to what? He said, I've, I've learned the secret of remaining content in whatsoever state I am. I know how to be content when I'm abased. I know how to be content when I'm, when I'm abounding. I've learned how to be okay in whatever season of life I'm in. But again, at the risk of going through all the stuff I said in the first three hours, it's just I'm really concerned because a few individuals that are very close to me, I've, I've seen they're, they're in left field so far now that it's actually frightening. And it's amazing how some of the very elect can be deceived. That's what God's Word says, right? Anyhow, so division, deception brings division. Division ultimately produces delusion, a dilution where you get diluted, which brings disruption, like a moral disruption you don't realize, which ends up in destruction. And the plumb line of what you learn, what you study, what you teach, you have to ask yourself a question, is peace the end product? In other words, whatever it is that you might find out there, you have to ask yourself, what in the end is it going to produce? Is it going to produce peace or is it going to produce division? Or the other word I use, or does it produce distance? Listen, the moment you begin to align yourself with a doctrine or with a philosophy or with something in life that produces distance between you and other believers, there's something wrong there. The closer you get to God, who is love, we know love attracts. Love is like a magnet. True love attracts. People like to be around loving people. You don't like to be around people that are aggravating all the time. Do you, Pete? There you go. Because it's just because I see Pete's prayer requests often. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's just jump to Second Timothy two. I left off last week uh, a little bit further down, but I'm going to go ahead and start again in um, verse fourteen. Second Timothy chapter two, verse fourteen. And this is in the Amplified Bible. Any newcomers, if you don't have an Amplified Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you to read. But these are the pastoral epistles. Like I said, every minister should be reading all the pastoral epistles every week, at least, over and over again in different translations. But I'll start here in verse 14, 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Paul says, Remind the people of these facts and solemnly charge them in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, to avoid <clears throat> petty controversy over words which does no good but upsets and undermines the faith of the hearers. Study. This is that very well-known verse. Study. Be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing, accurately dividing, and rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Now, I know that you get bored with hearing this, but my friends, it's just, it's not just the people that sit behind a pulpit or stand behind a pulpit that are called to study the Word of God. Really, do you hear me? This is why I've always said I believe firmly that every believer needs to go through some systematic training facility, somehow, some way. You need to go through some systematic teaching and training, to really grasp the fullness of the Scripture, what it's all about. You need to be taught the New Testament to really have a revelation of this side of Calvary, the side of Calvary that you and I live on now. You don't major in the Old Testament, like I always tell you, we major in the New Testament. But anyhow, Paul goes on to say, study, be eager, do to do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved or tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, Correctly analyzing, accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the Word of God. And even right there, you have to understand, you can rightly handle and you can wrongly handle the Word of God. 
I go, Dad Hagen used to say all those years ago, you can make the Bible say anything you want. If you are gifted, this is why there's a great difference between being a gifted communicator and being an anointed minister. There's a difference between the two. There's a difference. Do you hear me? But you can make the Bible say anything you want. This is why it's a very dangerous book. This is why most real cults, real, honest-to-God cults, are based upon Bibles and Bible knowledge. And like I've said from the beginning, and I've said every single message, any real deception has a lot of truth in it because they have to have something that tastes good to get you in there. But what happens is people begin to say, well, look at that. <clears throat> that aspect of it is true. You've got to admit that's true. Well, I'll nod my head and say, absolutely, that's true. But what about this other bit that causes division in the body or that causes somebody to say they have a revelation so great that God's told them they don't need to go to church any longer? I was I referred to this woman that Julie and I, are, we have friends in Spain and many years ago, we went there and she was telling us about this woman who was this incredible prophet who was just so spot on in so many areas and we'd really like you and Julie to meet her. And so we meet this woman and she begins to, we talk further back and forth. And I said, so I forget how, how it even came. I just came up. I said, so something about the scripture, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, she said, now God's given me a revelation. He told me I don't have to read the Bible anymore for the rest of my life, that he'll speak to me directly. And I said, oh, really? Well, that's deception. That's another spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. So Paul goes on to say, rightly, anyhow, verse 16. But again, here's this aspect. He said, but avoid, everybody say avoid. Avoid all empty, vain, useless, idle talk. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their teaching will devour. It will eat its way like cancer or spread like gangrene. Think about that. Paul says that people can get caught up in some minor little issue. Like this, another friend of ours who got caught up in numerology. There's a lot of truth to numerology about the strength and the power of numbers and their meaning. But again, he got so caught up in it that he got into such a delusion that he wound up losing his family, his children, and his house. Everything. All in the name of, he got so, again, he got to the point where he'd, he'd take a tape measure with him and he'd measure the fulcrum. He'd measure anything. He'd measure the chairs. It had to be made. To, because if the numbers were off, you weren't going to be anointed. You're, you know, and it's called straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. But he said that there's teaching out there that will actually be cancerous. Something that you don't see, it's on the inside, you don't know until it's got a hold on you that it's something that suddenly begins to erupt that's been in the inside for a long while. It's cancerous. Or it's like a gangrene to the point, in other words, you, in those days in particular, you had gangrene, you would lose a limb. The body of Christ has lost many limbs over the centuries due to false teachers, doing, due to people who come in with these very, very seductive doctrines. Again, we've already read it. Doctrines of devils, it says in Timothy. It says devils have doctrines. And this is why, again, there's only one, one true plumb line that keeps you protected. And that's being a man or woman of the word. Somebody who prays and somebody who reads and somebody who listens to the right type of teaching. And nobody's patting us on the back. Like I said, we're all have these learner badges on us. But I mean, there's a, there's a plethora. There's an incredible abundance of amazing, skillful Bible teaching out there available on podcasts, available on all over the place, Bethel's church, whatever church. I mean, so there's incredible. You can listen to the amazing, some of the best preachers on the planet. You can go over like on Kenneth Copeland's website. You can listen to entire conferences for free. You know what I mean? Your life would change dramatically. If you just did that, you know, listen to one message a day from some of these people that have been so anointed for so long that have so much fresh, so much uh, fresh life in them. And that's why it, it gets painful sometimes when you're a pastor. If, because if you're any good at pastoring, you love people. 
you are in love with them. And it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's frustrating when you see people that four, they're in the same position they were four years ago, five years ago. And you think to yourself, I know that I know that I know. Sadly, these people are not in prayer. And they're not before God like they could be. Because I guarantee you the scripture remains true. If you place yourself before the word of God and you continue to behold, you know what Corinthians says, if you continue to behold in the word of God as it were the face of Jesus Christ, you will continually be transformed from one degree of glory to another. So I choose to believe God's word. If people aren't changing, See, I can't make you change. How many of you know that? I can't make you. I can't force you. I can't point my finger at you and say, bless God, you better. <laughs> I can say it, but it's not going to produce anything. Now, God is love. We're supposed to love people and to change. But nevertheless, he talks about all this. He said, and their teaching will devour. It will eat its way like cancer. And again, you could just dwell there for a while. It will eat its way like cancer, gangrene. So it is with Hymenaeus and Philetus who have missed the mark and swerved from the truth. By arguing that the resurrection has already taken place, they are undermining the faith of some. See, they were saying, of course, the, under, the resurrection of Christ had already taken place. But they were beginning to share. I mean, you have to read this many things to find out what it's talking about. They're talking about that there's the future resurrections have already taken place. That what you got today is all there's going to be kind of a thing. Now, I know I'm doing expository teaching right now. Expository teaching means when you just go scripture for scripture. So you have to forgive me if I'm not going back and forth and being a real high-pollutant high preacher at the moment. It says in verse 19, But the firm foundation laid by God stands sure and unshaken. Somebody say hallelujah. The firm foundation laid by God stands sure and unshaken, bearing this seal or inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names himself by the name of the Lord give up all iniquity and stand aloof from it. And that's where I finished last week. Now let's continue. He goes on in verse 20, he says, But in a great house, there's not only vessels of gold and silver, but there's also utensils of wood and earthenware. Right? In other words, if you go out to one of these wonderful... Uh, fancy English estates, you go out there to Blenheim Palace or one of these places, you know, there are where Churchill and his people, or I forget the lady's name, Lady Astor lived. And then there's the area where the servants lived and what have you. But I want you to catch that analogy. Paul's saying in a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver, and there's vessels of wood and earthenware, right? In other words, but I want you to hear this first. All the vessels, gold, silver, or earthenware, all the vessels are used. Amen? The only difference is who they're used by. But watch what he's saying here. But in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also utensils of wood and earthenware, some for honorable and noble use, some for menial and ignoble use. Verse 21. So, whoever cleanses himself from what is ignoble and unclean, who separates himself from contact with contaminating and corrupting influences. Who separates himself from contaminating and corrupting influences, he will then himself be a vessel set apart and useful or honorable for honorable and noble purposes, consecrated and profitable to the master. Fit and ready for any good work. Now, years ago, when I first got into ministry, and I was studying this all those years ago, the Lord stopped me here, and he said, son, he said, you know, because I, I was first ordained through Jerry Savelle Ministries way back when, 100 years ago, seems like. And I was, you know, part and parcel. I was Ed Cole's European director and all this kind of stuff. And, but years ago, the Lord said to me, he said, son, he said, I will use you for the rest of your life. He said, because if you'll bow to me, he said, I'll use you. And he said, I'll let you be used by great men. You can be used by great men. You can travel the world working for Reinhard Bonnke or working for whosoever. You can travel the world. But he wanted to point something out here. He said, but I want you to catch this. He said, if you as an individual, it's no one else can do this for you or to you. But he said, if you'll make the choice to cleanse yourself from any contaminating or corrupting influences, 
then you'll be fit for the master himself to use you. In other words, he said, son, it's wonderful to be used by my great servants. And he said, I'll always use you. But he said, it simply takes a higher degree, a more sophisticated dedication and discipline to be used by the master himself. And he said, it's your choice. You can be used by Jerry Savelle. You can be used by Kenneth Copeland. You can be used by Ed Cole. Or you can be a tool in the hand of Jesus Christ himself. How many of you know it's good to be used any old way? But again, this is a pastoral epistle. Paul's talking to Timothy, his son in the faith, who's in the faith, who is a minister, who has all this about him. He is anointed. But even so, he's saying, guy, no matter who you are, no matter what level you are, no matter what age you are, you need to always keep your eyes open. There are things that will stealthily come in. And all in the midst of this, like I said, you read both books of Timothy. He keeps talking about avoiding these useless conversations, arguments over this, discussions over that, discussions over this, back and forth. Some things that sound so wise, but they're so wise that they're foolishness. He said, keep yourself from that. Stay in the purity of my word. Okay? Oh, well. I can see you're thrilled by that. Verse 22, he goes on to say, shun youthful lusts. Now, here again, he's a minister already. But shun youthful lusts, flee from them, and aim at and pursue righteousness. All that is virtuous and good, right living, Conformity to the, to the will of God in thought, word, and deed. And he said, aim at, again, and pursue this. Pursue faith, love, and peace. Did you hear me? Again, in the midst of this, I, I, would go over, I could go over all different stories about different kinds of cults and what have you. But I want to keep you hearing this one issue. If you get into some situation, if you get into some study, if you get into some philosophy, some message, and it begins to produce confusion, if it, can, if it produces distance between you and other brothers and sisters in the Word and in God, you need to ask yourself some questions. Listen, you may be older in the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand me. You can be older in the Lord. You know, the Bible says, again, he'll take us from faith to faith, right? From strength to strength, from glory to glory. And it's true that you might be in somebody, some, you, some of you in here, you might be level, you know, like in school, level, what is it? I don't know what they still, after 30 some years in England, I still don't know what they have, you know, like in America. You might be in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. If you're in ninth grade, you can tell somebody who's in seventh grade by virtue of the books they carry. Because you'll remember when you used to study that, when you had to do that, right? It's the same thing in spiritual things, really. Faith to faith. You might be in faith four or faith five. And what happens when you're in faith four and you meet somebody who's in faith three, <laughs> you'll recognize sometimes, oh yeah, I remember when that was the position I held. Or I remember when I thought up to that point, but I didn't see what God has shown me now. I see more now. And you realize that, quite frankly, you can't teach faith three person, something that you have right now in faith four. You can't teach it from a faith four position. You have to come down to a faith three position to meet them where they're at so that you can help them come up. But the point is, you have a choice when you recognize different levels of maturity in people. You can either look at them and laugh and go, <laughs> look where DeAndre's at. He's in faith three. <laughs> I was in faith three five years ago. You know what I mean? I'm in faith eight. And you can be a little proud about your great revelation or how much God has shown you. You know what I mean? But you know, the funny thing is when you're in faith three, you don't even know faith four exists. You know what I mean? This is why if you do find yourself in a position, like Paul said in Corinthians, if you find yourself in a position where you have epinosis, epinosis, not just gnosis, when you have a higher degree of revelation, that should humble you. That should be something that promotes a greater revelation of what it means to just love one another and be patient with one another and what have you. Because you need to remember that you once walked there. But see, a lot of people where they mess up, again, they begin to hear something. They begin to go another way. They have something in their spirit. 
that makes them want to feel superior. The moment you begin, I'll tell you, that is a demon. The moment you begin to play with, recognize, appreciate, pat on the back, a sense of superiority in any given area, you're actually on the way down. You're not on the way up. Everything about our God lifts us up. His love lifts us higher as the music goes. You know what I mean? Love lifted me. It always lifts. God's true message always builds people up. You've heard me say this a thousand times as well. God always speaks to the good in you because what you speak to in a person is what rises up. God doesn't condemn you. The way God wants you free, gets you free, is he keeps calling you what you are before you are. Really? Now, we've heard it a thousand times, but do you really understand that? Did you hear me? We call things that are not until they are. We speak good of people. We speak good of one another. And again, the moment, you know what I heard the other day, blah, 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 and there's that sense of division. They did that. They think, you know, then you have to stop. And that's why, hopefully, if you've ever been with the Lord and you get information like that, you'll begin to pray. You'll pray for people. You'll not be a gossip monger. You know the old illustration. Somebody calls you on the phone. Did you know what Ann Bellingham did the other day? I mean, did you hear? We really need to pray for Ann. I couldn't believe she slapped Pete so hard. I, I'm telling you, almost knocked, knocked two of his teeth out. Do you know what I mean? But don't tell anybody. Let's just pray. Now let's start a prayer chain right now. So you call 15 other people, and pretty soon she's not just slapped him. She's hit him over the head with the baseball bat. She's knocked him to the ground. She's kicked him. She's sicked four dogs on him. She's done all manner of stuff. This is why when somebody calls you with gossip, remember what the best thing is to do? Just start speaking in tongues to the phone. Just start speaking in tongues. And as old Dad Hagen said all those years ago, he said, you do that. They will not wait around for the interpretation. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Aim at pursue faith, love, and peace, harmony, and concord with others and fellowship with all Christians who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Verse 23. And here he goes again. I, I just saying it's throughout all the scripture. But refuse, say refuse. refuse. Say the next three words. Shut your mind. Okay, but refuse. Shut your mind against have nothing to do with trifling, ill-informed, unedifying, stupid controversies over ignorant questionings. For you know that they foster strife and breed quarrels. <sighs> How many of you know you can be so right that you're wrong? Really? Like, again, this one situation I'm thinking of, I can't speak to it right now publicly, but I mean, you know, there, this is some people are, have grasped a hold of something that is true in history, something horrible that happened in history. But they're so caught up in the events that took place in history that they're letting those events which were wrong, so they're right, those events were wrong, but they're so entrenched in how wrong that was 150 years ago, 250 years ago, they're not able to see today. They're not able to walk forward. So now they put a block in their own path because now they're in the midst of a place of strife and quarrel because all they want is everybody to know how bad it was 150 years ago. They want to prove what they've seen as historical fact. Well, nobody has to prove it. If it's historical fact, it's historical fact. What's that got to do with the kingdom of God today? And what the kingdom of God today is actually trying to produce in his people. You hear me? You've got to be single-minded. You need to turn your face towards Jerusalem. You know what I mean? Towards Almighty God. Refuse, shut your mind against, have nothing to do with trifling, ill-informed, unedifying, stupid controversies. And the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting and contending. Instead, he must be kindly to everyone and mild-tempered, preserving the bond of peace. He must be a skilled and suitable teacher, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. Like I said, we could teach on a different hundred subjects here. Let me say 
I'm the first to tell you I have missed it on this area many times, which is why I read it all the time. Every once in a while, the glory of Rod's great love and <laughs> gets bent, and I have the opportunity to not feel loving. I know all of you are wonderful at it, but there are times when I have it. But this is why I have to read it. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. But think about that. This is why when somebody comes for counseling, like you hear me saying, they, they want to argue about what they think the Word of God says. I'm not going to argue. I've had so many people say, but what about this? But what about that? And I'll say, but what about it? The issue, all I know is, what is it, what's it say? What's it say? There's some things I've had 35 years of being in the book. It's taken me 35 years to understand some of the deep, or like the scripture says, the hard sayings of Jesus. Paul, remember, said that many of these things are hard sayings, easy to be misunderstood. It's taken me 35 years of studying and being before the Lord to know the little teeny tiny bit that I know. But nevertheless, people will come to me and want me to share what has taken me 35 years to understand, of seeing how this fits with this and this fits with this, how this fits with this and this, and they want me to explain it to them in 30 minutes. I can't do that. So you just have to be patient, and you have to be willing to suffer wrong. People walk out of the room going, well, I thought he was a pastor. I thought he knew everything. He's a Bible teacher. Surely he knows everything. Blah, 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 blah. They get really freaked out when they realize, and you're able to say, I don't know. Or else I tell them, well, I do know. But would you be willing to give me one solid year of your life, 30 hours a week, where I can teach you the scriptures to get you to the point where you understand what it really says in Hebrews 7, much less Hebrews 11, and how it relates back to Genesis 34. And I'm not trying to be clever, but just like some of you, you, you have skills, those of you, whatever, like what DeAndre does in banking, what Ann does in the work of teaching all those, the, I don't even know what, you're, what they call it, but all the, the hard labor Ann puts into study, or any of you that are proficient in the given area of your life, if you're a career person, if you're a, a professor, a, whatever you are, you know what I mean? If you have a level of expertise because you've been studying or you've been working something for 15 years, and I only know this much, how many of you know if somebody comes to you and says, how do you do that? You can't, a dentist, let's say you go to a dentist and you say, what does this really, what's really happening here? And he said, well, you've got a problem with your tooth. <laughs> and I say, well, okay, but can you explain to me what the problem is? Well, now in layman's terms, he may, if he's a good dentist, he'll try to give me some information about this, that, and the other. But he's studied for like 10 years to be a dentist, to understand the physiology of the mouth and the gums and teeth and nerves and everything. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? He can't tell you line upon line exactly what it is that's caused this problem. In electronics, if you're an electronics engineer, you know, you can't... All you can tell us is, don't put your finger in that plug socket. <laughs> All you can say is, Bernie, Bernie. And yet, you'll sit there and say, well, explain to me why. Well, you've got to have a degree in electronic engineering. Maybe. But I'm just saying, so when we come to you with things that are of the spirit, that all of us are just like children with, we're all learning. Like, oh, good Lord, who was it? Ours, I think it was Tory. R.A. Torrey all those years ago, no, it was John G. Lake, who said, the most mature believer on earth today is a mere babe just prattling round about the seashore of the sea of the life of God. In other words, there's this gigantic ocean that is the knowledge of God. And the most spiritual men of our day, we're just barely putting our little toe in it. Dip, dip. And we get our little toe wet, and we think we're something. Hallelujah. And yet the day is going to come, like Ezekiel says, that we're going to swim in it. 
We're going to swim in a sea of life. How many of you know you can't drown in a sea of life? Uh, something else we'll teach on another time. But let's just keep going here, like I said. Refuse, shut your mind. Shut your mind, verse 23. Shut your mind. Have nothing to do with trifling, ill-informed, unedifying, stupid controversies over ignorant questionings. My right leg's gone asleep, and I'm trying to stand up so I don't fall over. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting, contending. Instead, he must be kindly to everyone. <sighs> you mean even that person? Yeah. Kindly to everyone, mild-tempered, preserving the bond to peace. This is, again, the issue. In leadership, in any position, even if you're a good leader in the world's big companies, one of the major things a team leader has to do is preserve the bond of peace. He's got to keep people working at the place where they create the greater production of anything and everything that's going on. So there's nothing new about this. He said, you must preserve the bond of peace. He must be a skilled and suitable teacher, patient, forbearing, willing to suffer wrong. Verse 25, he must correct his opponents with courtesy and gentleness in the hope. Everybody say in the hope. In the hope that God may grant that they will repent and come to know the truth, that they will perceive, recognize, and become accurately acquainted with it and acknowledge it that they may come to their senses and escape out of the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him henceforth to do his God's will. Now here it does say in the Amplified, his God's will. Actually, when you say lexicons, it doesn't say that. It still refers to Satan's will. That we have to help people who actually oppose themselves. I've mentioned that many times, but this is where it says it. You've got to help people They don't even realize it, but they truly are their own worst enemy. Because they believe something so strong that they refuse to listen to reason. I'm talking about spiritual things now. Now, We can all talk about, discuss things in the world and have different opinions. But when it comes to the things of God, my friends, all I'm trying to say is, see, we don't have a right to live by Rod's opinion or anybody else's opinion. We have to go to the Scripture. So many people want us to wave a magic wand. That's what Ed Coe used to say all the time. He said, people want to come to you if you're a minister, and they want you to wave some magic wand. Pray, 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 pray for me, 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 pray for me. That bing, you know, that we can boop, and all your troubles are over forever. And at some point, we're to mature to the point where we bless God, quit asking others to pray for us that we actually understand we have access to Almighty God ourselves. You know what I mean? We finally get to that place where we realize, wait a second, the veil's been rent from the top to the bottom so that me, me, I get to come to God. Not just ministers. You hear me? Not just ministers. Every single one of you have full access to the very throne of the living God. But see, there's that something about always wanting somebody else to do it. See, part of that, we understand if you're very young. But when you've been around the things of the Word of God for 25 years, you know, if I tell you how to drive from here to our house in Camberwell, beautiful downtown Camberwell, if I tell you that it's five miles from this church, and with London traffic, you can get there in about 35, 40 minutes, depending on traffic. Well, if I tell you that today, that you're supposed to come over to our house, and you don't arrive till December the 36th, <laughs> I will have a revelation about you that somewhere along the line you did not follow directions. You know what I mean? We should get to stuff a lot quicker than we do. God withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly before him. And this is why, again, our obligation is to teach the Word of God, not our opinions. But I'm telling you, you have to be sober. You have to be vigilant. For that enemy of yours, the devil, does go around roaring like a lion, seeking those whom he may devour. He can't devour anyone, or not everyone, rather. He only seeks to devour those whom he may. In other words, your shield's down. Remember the Bible says, give him no place 
And that's the hard revelation that comes to you in Christ, that when something bad happens, the truth of the matter is somewhere on planet Earth, humanity gave place. People want to know why is there so much sorrow on the earth? Because people gave place. They believed a doctrine that wasn't of heaven. I'm seeing you're enjoying this so much. Chapter 3. I'm just going to take a little bit more like this because I'm, this is, like I said, it's just expository teaching. I'm, there's other stuff I really want to get to, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to do a couple of more Sundays on this. I just, I just have to. Now, again, I'm just wanting you to read what God says, not what Rod says. And Paul says here in chapter 3, but understand this. Now, I'm, I'm trying to submit to you that just possibly if the Apostle Paul, who's caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body, out of the body, he knew not. If he says you need to understand something, I would suggest to you that maybe we need to understand something. And what is it that we're supposed to understand? He said, understand this, that in the last days, in the last days will come and set in perilous times of great stress <coughs> and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Amen? You don't have to release faith for that. You ain't seen nothing yet. This is why, bless God, we need to be strong in the Lord and in His might right now. Because if you think it's dark out there now, I forget what that is in Isaiah where it says, if you can't run with, what is it, which one is it? In Jeremiah. If you're having trouble running in the thicket, how are you going to handle running with the horses, much less the beasts of the field? In other words, he says, if you can't handle what's happening right now, what are you going to do when the big stuff comes? You know what I mean? This is why we need each other so desperately. This is why we do pray for one another. This is why we do become a strong household of faith. This is why we build one another up. This is why we are our brother's keeper. We help one another. Everybody makes mistakes. We're here to help you when you make a mistake, not kill you when you make a mistake. You know what I mean? You've heard that said forever about churches. We're the only group, of, the only army in the world that kills its wounded. You know what I mean? It's been said forever. You know, we're the army of the Lord and somebody falls and we kill them. Again, we create 14 prayer chains around the world, especially now with the Internet. And suddenly you have a reputation next to only that of the devil himself. <sighs> Understand this. In the last days will come and set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with. I'm telling you, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people, now none of us are in this next four verses, I know. But I'm going to read it anyhow. People will be lovers of self. Utterly, utterly self-centered. Lovers of money. Aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth. Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection. They will be without natural human affection. That speaks to the whole gay issue. That speaks to much more. It speaks to the everything that is a crime against nature. They will be without natural human affection. Callous and inhuman. I mean, like, again, when you hear about a group of people in the name of their God that's beheading six-year-old children, you have to ask yourself, what kind of a day are we living in? But he tells us all this. This has been written for a good 2,000 years ago. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanders, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate, loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters, I mean haters of good. You know what it says in the book of Amos, woe unto those who call evil good and who call good evil. You know, I, it's, a, it's a tough balance you have to find as a pastor. Because like I said, I want my people prepared. I don't want them frightened. I don't want them frightened. I want them full of faith. 
But I want them to know enough about God that they realize there are hard times coming. The world is not going to get better. It's not going to be all rosy. A friend of mine sent an email the other day. You know, I'm, I was born in 1947. That's, you know, I know for so many of you that's before dirt. But, you know, I'm the, I'm the last, you know, people like myself, Julie, Pete, Nan, and some others, Bill Jones back there, some of us that look like the Ancient of Days, you know what I mean? But some of us are the last generation that grew up sitting around a family table every day, every night, three meals, mom and dad, no television. We talked. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. We didn't text. We talked. Times were easy. In America, it was the days of leave it to beaver. None of you probably know what that is. I mean, clean, just clean, little, when television first began, the cleanest little programs about family life. Just family life. Some of the biggest problems in some of those early television programs is when little Billy stole little Johnny's pencil and broke it by accident. You know what I mean? It wasn't about today when Lucy, oops, I shouldn't use the name of a woman who is also somebody that we have in the church. Now I can't even give the illustration. <laughs> who, little Billy, you know, today it's a, how many, Billy is seven years old. Is Billy male? Is Billy female? Is Billy transgender? Is Billy, I mean, you know, television today, I turned on, I had television on the other day, and I know this, they had this stuff about this Bruce Jenner, Caitlin trip, which makes you puke, excuse me. But they had something, have you ever, did you hear, you've seen the advertising about it that shows this young teenage girl, and she said, my name is Jazz. Anybody seen that advertisement? I'm Jazz, that's her name. Well, she's like 12 years old. She's 12, she's transgender already. The whole little TV program is going to be around this 12-year-old girl who's already her parents have allowed her to have surgery, and she's a girl now, but she's a boy, but she's a girl now. <laughs> Do you understand how far away that was for my generation? Remember when I was in high school, I graduated in 1965, 61 to 65. I've told you this before, and I know that you know this already. I, I never knew anybody until my senior year. I didn't know one family, anybody, whose mom and dad were divorced. I was in a high school, one of the third largest high school in America. We had 5,000 students, 5,280 students. I was there four years. It wasn't until I graduated that I met somebody whose parents were divorced. And we went, what? You're kidding me. Their parents are divorced. Wow. What a trip that is. <laughs> what are the stats today? I know you know this, but you can understand something. Hell's been very diligent. Do you understand me? Hell's been bringing so much information that we've sucked up like a hoover. It's diluted truth. It's worn down truth. So it says in Daniel 28, it says the spirit of Antichrist, when he comes, he will seek to wear out the saints of the Most High. And it means through mental fatigue, like water on a rock, slowly but surely, slowly but surely. The girl that slept with somebody? That never happened. Ever. Are you kidding me? If there was a girl... It freaked everybody out that somebody, there was a girl that had actually slept with somebody. What is it today? Today, young boys, young women, they're scorned and laughed at if they haven't. You mean to tell me you're still a virgin? Oh, my God. Wow, how lame is that? I don't know why I'm on this part. When I was with Dr. Cole... When we talk about sexual purity, they say, well, safe sex is always, forgive me, adults, and forgive me, people, I'm sorry, but they, 
They said, I never understood this, but I, and I don't have the exact thing, so if there's a doctor in here, forgive me. I don't remember. But anyhow, you know, safe sex was to make sure you used a condom. So as long as you used a condom and you had sex with somebody, you were cool. But do you know that condoms, they're something like, I forget, 50, the small, the little, they're porous to like 50 microns. Okay? Something to that effect. I don't remember. Sperm is something like 10,000 microns. In other words, you can get about 100 sperm through the thing. <laughs> Condom. <laughs> and they say, well, it's safe sex. No, it isn't safe sex. Safe sex starts here and here. Actually, here and here. Okay. But you know what I mean. But we've been worn down to the place that you feel like, or they, the world tries to make you feel like an idiot if you walk upright before God. God forgive us. That's why mom and dad, you need to be mom and dad. These are all touchy things. Haters of good. Verse 4. They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. Listen to this aspect. Listen to what this says in the Amplified. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. Lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements. Lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements. An amusement house. You gotta look up the word muse, where that comes from. But fantasy and what have you. My Xbox. I used to love when I had my Mac, when I had my desktop years ago, I used to love playing I don't even remember what it was now. What's that World War II shoot em? Medal of Honor. I used to love playing Medal of Honor. I'd be, I'd be killing these Nazis left and right. Killing whoever blowing them up. <laughs> and Julie'd walk in. She said, Ron, would you quit that? That's violence. You need to stop that stuff. And I said, baby, I'm training. This is spiritual warfare. I'm learning. <laughs> these are bad guys out there. I'm trying to kill the bad guys. Don't you understand? I enjoy that. I'd do that now, but I don't have a big enough left de- desktop to do it. I've got a laptop. No, but I mean, anybody, now don't, don't freak out when I said that. Anybody can play some games, but you hear what I'm saying? He said, there are going to be people in the last days that are totally given over to vain amusements. In other words, even that ugly thing called television. Hallelujah. My wife comes in, she looks at me, she goes, Rod. And I just go, yes, dear. They will be treacherous betrayers, verse 4, rash, inflated with pride and self-conceit, rather. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form, listen to what Paul's saying 2,000 years ago. He said there's going to be, we're going to be surrounded by people who hold the form of piety, of true religion. But they deny They reject and they're strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. I'm a Christian. Really? See how careful we have to be? I don't, and I, by God's grace, will never condemn anybody. But Paul also said, do not let me become your enemy because I speak the truth to you. It's like going to a surgeon again, like, Paul, like I've had to do, Pete's had to do, and some others have had to do. When they tell you they're going to cut you from here to here, like, you know, my famous, I have my Mercedes scar. I was laughing. They said, we're going to give you what's called, when you have a liver transplant, you have what's called a Mercedes cut. And I said, what the heck do you mean by that? And they said, well, they cut like this and this and this. And they say, it's kind of like the emblem of Mercedes. I always remember when Keith McGregor was here, he cracked me up. He said, well, thank God that it wasn't an Audi. He did. He said that. <laughs> Cracked me up. 
I said, yeah, man. It could have been a lot worse, you know what I mean? Man. We've got to, you know, but when they tell you stuff like that, it was, they're just trying to prepare you. For what's going to happen? You give you these three-hour, two or three, three-hour times of education of what's going to happen before you undergo a liver transplant. And you hear a lot of stuff you don't want to hear. But then the end result is, you know, you're going to live. That makes you go, okay, I'm going to do it if I'm going to live. And I wanted to live. Any of you want to live? God's word comes that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I really, forgive me, forgive me, I'm going to tell you in advance, I really don't care if you don't like what God's instructions are. I'm going to keep giving you God's instructions because that's what gets you to life. See, most of you, no, no, God help me. I've got to finish. I really have to finish. I got, I'll close my Bible. Take a deep breath. When they told me, I felt fine. I mean, I felt good on the, I, I felt good. I didn't feel sick at all. But my stomach began to swell, not from eating cheeseburgers. You know, this stuff called, uh, and, yeah, and, and ascites, whatever, ascites, basically where your, your liver quits producing, quits, quits getting rid of all the toxins, and your belly starts. And I, you've told you, you know, I had 17 liters. You know what a liter of water is like? I had 17 liters of poison on my stomach. It was like that. Hurt. But anyhow, you go in there, and, but my stomach could go down, come up, go down. That was in the early days. And so I go in there, and they take me to these particular blood tests, and they came back, and Julie and I are sitting there, and this professor, the top dog of liver, the top liver man, one of the top three liver men in the whole world is at King's College. And he sits there before Julie, and he says, Mr. Anderson, he said, you're a very sick man. I didn't feel sick. Do you know what I mean? Do you really hear me? I didn't feel sick. But they had ways of looking into the blood. They knew that if it was in the blood, you're sick. See, there's a lot of us in the body of Christ, we don't even know how sick we are. Until a spiritual surgeon comes along and sees stuff that you just don't see. Now, I could get mad at Professor O'Grady. I'm not sick. I don't have cirrhosis of the liver. That was 45 years ago when I was a drug addict. How can I have hepatitis C 45 years later? You know what I mean? 45 years later. 45 years. <laughs> you know, I could, could have got angry, whatever, and he just could sit there and smile. He said, well, Mr. Anderson, the blood doesn't lie. See... When you hide yourself in the Word of God, it begins to expose everything. Not to condemn you, not to break you, but to bring you to life. It's trying to get you to life. To where you really understand why identification with Jesus Christ is so important. Christ, you have died. In Christ, you have died. But you're alive now in Christ with God. Hallelujah. But this is why we look out for one another. We're going to continue to pray for one another. And bless God in Jesus' name, we're going to keep going over the scriptures because that's what brings us life. I know there's a lot of churches with a lot more whoop and bang and hallelujah and jump and shout and whatever. But when it's all said and done, I'm telling you, it's those of you who know the truth, who know God's word, that will be able to say, it is written. It is written. Yeah, but look at this. Well, look at this. It is written. Amen? Amen. Father, we give you thanks today for your continual guidance of us by your Spirit. You said, Father, that your Spirit would guide us into all truth. If we would just be yielded, if we would actually learn how to yield ourselves, if we would yield our members as members under righteousness, if we'd simply make the choice to believe your word is truth and your word is life unto all them who find it. Father, I'm just praying for a greater degree of spiritual hunger to come upon all of us. I want our people prepared. I mean, I want them prepared. 
I want them to be solution people. I believe with all my heart. I'm trusting you for like 80% of our people to be such miracle workers in the years to come. I mean, literally, that everywhere they go, they have solutions. Everywhere they go, they carry the power of God with them to such a degree that people know if you go to that person, you're going to get saved, you're going to get healed, you're going to be blessed. Things are going to change because that individual knows Almighty God. And they know His Spirit, and they know His Spirit's leading, prompting. They've exercised themselves under righteousness. So I thank you for that, Father. I thank you. I praise you. And I give you all the glory for the work that you're doing in the spirit of your people here. I give you praise. And as I said in the beginning, Father, forgive us for any limitations we put on you. We remove remove limitations now in the name of Jesus. We give you the right to do anything in our lives. We give you the right to do anything in our lives. We give you the right to change anything that you see needs to be changed. So we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would shine your light so brightly upon us that we see every little blemish. Even those things, they don't show up in the darkness. They only show up when the light comes. And so we thank you, Father, for the light. Jesus, you said, I am the light of the world. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.